This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Okay, well, um, we are back, and today I'm really excited. We have Miss Buffy Trupp, and she's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and RCC, is that a registered clinical counselor? You got it, yes. Okay, and that's in... um, in British Columbia, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. She's a somatic psychotherapist and founder of the Mindful Fertility Project. Buffy has been teaching mindfulness to women and couples struggling to conceive since 2006 with astonishing results. She's the author of the clinically proven Mindful Fertility Journal, a comprehensive mindfulness-based mind-body program for fertility. You can find out more about her and her work at www.mindfulfertilityproject.com. I highly recommend you go to her website. I spent some time there. It's amazing. The stories, the content, everything. So uh, welcome. Thanks so much for being on, Buffy. Charlene, wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, um, You know, what led you to study the effects of mindfulness and stress reduction techniques on women who are trying to conceive? Yeah, great question to start. So I was in graduate school in San Francisco studying somatic psychology, so body-oriented psychology. I was interested in how our mind shapes our physiology and potentially can uh, affect chronic conditions or health conditions like infertility. Um, And I was talking, I developed a friendship with a really incredible acupuncturist uh, in the Bay Area. And we were talking, you know, as girlfriends, but also as colleagues um, about our work. And I was both studying mindfulness within the somatic psychology paradigm. I was practicing mindfulness. And it was just understood once once I understood the stress response or what was happening in the physiology for women struggling to conceive that mindfulness would be an incredibly uh, powerful intervention um, while they're in the process. And um, so it was just through talks like this that we confirmed, you know, that the intervention would really be relevant. And uh, my friend introduced me then to the medical director at Laurel Fertility Care in San Francisco, uh, Dr. Colin Smeichel, reproductive endocrinologist, because he wanted someone to start a, like a mind-body behavioral health program within his fertility clinic. You know, we understand that working with the mind and the stress response is so crucial for all a whole bunch of the conditions that create infertility. Um, And so he wanted someone to come in in in-house and work with his patients. So I did that for him. I got that job and I developed a curriculum, like a mindfulness-based curriculum for him and started doing running 10-week classes in his fertility clinic and also seeing his patients one-on-one. And really it was from that experience, seeing the healing that happened for so many women and the pregnancies that happened as well, um, the success of the program, which really just inspired my continued interest in working with the uh, you know women who are struggling to conceive. What happened is I left the Bay Area and now live in rural Canada. And so I took the curriculum that I taught in Colin's office and 
made it an online program. And so you can kind of click, go to the website, click and buy and, you know, follow along at home, um, uh, to, you know, with a virtual program or being consult with me doing mm. the program. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, first thing that medical director, I mean, yeah. kudos to him I mean, right? to, to yeah. really expand that way. And um, I mean, technology is amazing in the sense that you, I mean, you can kind of have a global audience, right? You got okay. it. Yes. I mean, this is not isolated to any one area. It's. Uh, I love technology for this. Like I'm having conversations yeah. right now with a woman in South America, Pakistan, certainly lots of women in the United States and Canada and Europe. Yeah. But just all over the world. It's incredible. Interesting. Um, tell our listeners about your approach to helping couples with fertility issues. Right. Yeah. So let's go into it here. So I teach mindfulness to women and men who are struggling to conceive. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what mindfulness is, but let's start with this, this reality that, you know, challenges conceiving bring up intense feelings, right? Fear, helplessness. These are just some of them, uh, deep grief, sadness, anger, right? Lost frustration, right? And we know that how we approach, these are, feelings are physiological, right? They're not ideas, they're body-based experiences. And so how we deal with them, especially when they're intense, and especially when they're prolonged, if your fertility journey is over a couple of years, right? How we relate and interpret them affects our physiology. And one just easy example that everyone's probably heard in the research, right, is if the fight, 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 flight response is getting triggered in the brain, like, oh my gosh, there's something really wrong, right? Um, the, the metaphor is like the bear's chasing me, but this is the, you know, this is a, a different sort of bear, right? What mm -hmm. if I can't become a mother, right? The body automatically, right, goes into sympathetic arousal to try and um, flee or fight from the, you know, get, get out of the danger, right? And so, um, you know, these emotions can stimulate that response. Um, it, the, our reality can stimulate that response. And we know just across the board, like the physicians know it, Chinese medical doctors know it, right? That that sympathetic arousal over time creates a lot at, or exacerbates a lot of the conditions that, you know, create infertility, um, autoimmune conditions, polycystic ovarian syndrome, right? Inflammation. Um, so we want to reduce that automatic response in the body when we're trying to conceive, right? Yes. So I teach women how to train the mind, right? And how to deal with these intense feelings that are really natural so you can optimize your fertile health. And I do this by teaching mindfulness. So the definition of mindfulness is the awareness that arises when we pay attention to what's happening currently inside of us, right? Yeah. In a non-judgmental way, it's a it's a type of attitude that I teach. It's a curious way. So we're taking judgment off of our present moment reality. So, and it's hard to explain. It's a phenomenological process. So let me just take you on a little bit of a journey, for example. Right? That, yeah, that would be beautiful. Because, yeah. right, you have to experience it to really get a sense of it. To get a sense of it, yeah. right? But let's give it a typical example. So, so okay. say, Diane, of, of someone who might come to see me, say, you know, and this is just a... a, a 
this is a made up example, but it's a common example, you know. So Diane says is 42 years old, right? She's been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. She's tried naturally for a couple of years. And I mean, naturally, she's seen a nutritionist. She's really um, tackled the symptoms based on all the research, right? Um, mm -hmm. How to treat her specific type of polycystic ovarian syndrome, right? So her symptoms have reduced and uh, she's still not pregnant. She's tried two cycles of IVF, right? She has regular acupuncture. She, of course, sees an RE, you know, but she's still not pregnant, for example, okay? And so Diane, with greater frequency, you know, in her case, she wakes up early in the morning. She's got symptoms of insomnia. She's unable to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. She's got a deep, heavy feeling in her body when she wakes up, right? And her thoughts just are racing and going round and round. She can't switch them off. So she's up for a couple, three hours in the early morning, right? And, you know, exhausted after those three hours, she heads back to bed. But she's noticing, you know, with, with mindfulness training, this is what we do, we get clearer on what's happening in those hours internally in the mind, in the body, right? And she's noticing that there's this voice, right? And this is its specific, this is what it's saying to her, you know, uh, you know, this is terrible. I can't, now I can't even sleep. Um, you know, and I know that I've got to get more sleep for great, you know, to optimize my fertility. And, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to be productive at work today either. You know, why is this happening again? What's wrong with me? This is the flavor of the thinking that's going on. And this is quite natural. And, and any one of us would think like this, right? Yes. Like, oh my God, I got to get back to sleep. This is, you know, this is really detrimental to my yeah. work day and to my fertility, you know. Um, that's a million to women's conversations in the middle in of the night. In their head, right? Yeah. right? Why yeah. is this happening? Not mm. only, you know, have I had to treat uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, but now I've got this insomnia. Why is this happening? What's wrong? Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I want to just say, you know, um, for anyone, this would be challenging. And for any one of us, these would be the thoughts that go on, right? Yeah, so it's not Diane's fault that she's thinking like this or, right? This type of thinking just happens really automatically, you know? But what we, what, you know, when we learn mindfulness, we learn to really kind of analyze or, or look at this flavor of thinking, whatever our flavor of thinking is, right? So Diane, in Diane's mind, you know, we also ask the question, you know, does this type of flavor of thinking, because it's intended to help, you know, the ways we're thinking we want to help our anxiety, you know, but does it actually help our anxiety, you know, mm -hmm. and, and in this case, you know, with these particular thoughts, when we really look at them without judgment, right, we become more aware that these are the ones that are cycling. This is the movie at 3am in our mind, right? It's not helping that feeling mm -hmm. of fear that's woken us up, right? Right. But unless we practice mindfulness, unless we become more aware, right, um, we're not really aware that we're actively making meaning in this way. We think we're just seeing uh, the situation as it is, like mm -hmm. waking up at 3 a.m. is just as it is. It's just terrible, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, the mind's been taught to work in this way. And the, let's, let's, I just want to look at, you know, like one of the things that as we become more aware and become more mindful, right, we become to, we get to kind of like break down those voices. So what her mind is doing at 3am is this, right? The, it added its own catastrophic interpretation, you know, this is terrible. So I'm up at 3am and I'm feeling really scared. 
right? Yeah. The mind says, this is terrible, right? We're not going to judge what the mind's doing. This is mindfulness, right? We're just, we want to know what it's doing, right? The, The voice also said there would be awful consequences, right? Not sleeping is so bad for my fertility and I'm not going to be able to be productive at work today, right? So we've got a catastrophic interpretation right. and then we, that has awful consequences, right? And when you get to know your mind, it works as a spin doctor in this way, you know, it projects, you know, an awful outcome on what is just a very scary feeling, right? We get to know that the feeling and the mm-hmm. thought pattern mimic one another, right? The feelings, intense anxiety, it's absolutely normal when you've been trying to conceive for a couple of years, you've done everything right, you've managed your PCOS symptoms, and you're still not pregnant, you know, it's like, that's normal to be very scared, right? We Mm -hmm. catastrophize, right? And then we project awful consequences. That's a feature of the mind. We also ask, here's another thing she did, unanswerable questions, like, you know, um, why is this happening again? Right? Right. So the other thing, another feature of the mind is we pull from the past. We bring to mind a time in the past when things, you know, were not good, right? And we project it into the future. So the mind does this automatically all the time, right? And Mm -hmm. as we become more aware, we see, oh, we just did that, you know? I woke up yesterday at 3 a.m., Right. And so I project that into the future. You know, why is this happening again? This is always going to happen. So that's another feature of the mind. We can notice, oh, I do that. You know, I pull from the past. And then the last thing she did, she focused her attention. You know, uh, the feeling is fear. But how she, what she focused her attention on was that's weak or, or that she was failing because she felt fear. You know, what's wrong with me? You know, that 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 sort of ubiquitous thought that we have right. while trying to conceive, right? Yeah. You know, so we focus our attention on like that intense fear means there's something wrong with me. I shouldn't be having this. The research says I've got to reduce this, you know? Mm. And so it's interesting because it's like, you know, it's, you know, our, it's, it's the most natural thing to be sad and afraid, you know, and um, feeling helpless when we want something and it's not happening, right? But what the mind's doing, it, it tends to help, but it's saying, you know, um, this, is, this is a weakness and, and you're failing, right? Does that add to fear? We learn in mindfulness to ask that question, you know, does that add to that feeling of fear or does it take away? And usually that adds, right? It's just yes. like, you know, not only is it natural, like you're not ever going to be right. able to not feel afraid while trying to conceive, right? And if we shame ourselves for it, right? This is bad, I'm failing, right? We're only going to feel more of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say again is really kind of bring this down to like the actual fear is not the problem. Right. The, the, The fear is natural. The fear is normal. Right. So is the hopelessness. So is the, uh, anger. Right. And it's normal in that, you know, uh, you're going to have it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they might be intense feelings, you know, but they're cyclical meaning feelings. The nature of feelings is that they pass on their own, often surprisingly quickly. This is the nature of feelings, you know, but most of us haven't been able or never have been taught how to let their feelings take their natural course. We feel like we have to do something to get rid of them 
and also we're unaware of how the mind works in relationship to the feeling, like how we've been taught to sort of catastrophize, project, right? Um, uh, uh, you know, and also ask these questions that focus on weakness or the thing we want to get rid of, right? What, what yeah. are we doing with those very uncomfortable feelings though. Yeah, right. So exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. So what do we do? So this is the whole, like really the brilliance, if you will, of mindfulness, right? So, uh -huh. you know, um, our attempts to get rid of them are actually what's keeping them stuck, right? Uh -huh. So what, what mindfulness does, our attempts to get rid of them, I feel so afraid. So we wake up in the morning at 3 a.m., right? Yeah. You know, as we uh, learn, and it's just repetition, in my program, we put in, um, you know, audio meditations that teach us about what else we can do with our mind, right? So we wake up at 3 a.m. and what we do is become very aware of what's happening in the present moment, right? So we get more skillful over time at saying, you know what? What's happening right now is I feel very afraid. You see how that's so different than this is terrible? Yes. I feel very afraid. You're acknowledging the feeling, right? You're curious about it. You're welcoming and your body is receptive to it, your body and your mind, right? It's right. here. It's here. It's happening, right? So what I'm doing is bringing my non-judgmental awareness to it. And I'm naming what's happening. We call it labeling, right? Mm -hmm. I feel afraid. Right. And what would you do? What would any of us do? This is just one technique, we, a mindfulness technique. Mm -hmm. What would you do with a friend who is feeling afraid or a child that was feeling afraid? You know, you wouldn't probably say things like this is terrible. This is really going to affect your fertility. Um, uh -huh. You know, yeah. this means you're not doing it right. Right. You'd comfort you know? that person. You'd comfort them. Yeah. Right. You'd make them tea, you'd get them curled up, mm -hmm. you know. Right. And you would care for that feeling, fear, you know, you'd welcome it. You, you want its full expression because it's wise, right? It's here. You're not going to be able to control it anyway. Right. And if we try and get rid of it, we just lock it in. It doesn't get to be expressed. So it gets held sort of unconsciously in our body, really. You know, it just gets blocked. You know, there's a whole bunch of resistance, right? Yeah. And the amygdala just is like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's something wrong because I'm having a feeling, but she's telling me I can't have it, that it's wrong and uh -huh. bad, right? Yeah. And it's like, so what do I do, right? So we comfort, right? We, how big is the feeling, you know? And then we can just get really aware of, okay, what are the movies that are going to play about this? You know, the projections into the future, how my husband's family's going to think about it. You know, these are the tapes we get. And then we, we say hi to them too. We don't, you know, we, we learn through mindfulness to kind of separate a little bit. It's like, those are the projections that are going to play based on the intensity of the feeling. Mm. And we we're know embrace, that we're embracing the feeling, right? Embracing I mean, the feeling yeah. and therefore the thoughts that go along with them. Right. Okay. And we're yeah. not identifying ourselves as the thought necessarily or the feeling it's just it's like the breath it's something that's it's nature is just to come and go mm -hmm. you know and we say to ourselves of course you'd feel afraid right now you know it makes sense mm -hmm. that you're feeling totally afraid right now i love you 
right? How afraid? That's the self-talk. That's, that's the self-talk. The self- that, that's just yeah. the, it's the attitude. It's the body feeling too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's just like, okay, how, how, how catastrophic, you know, we get to when we unlatch from the thinking as reality, as true, you know, uh, that takes skill. That's mindfulness to just be like, okay, so what are the, how catastrophic are these projections going to be? You know, but we're not in them. We're not believing them anymore. We're just saying, hi, I recognize you, you know, yeah. to, to the thinking patterns as well. Yeah. Catastrophic thoughts because I'm having an intense feeling of fear. Right. Cool. cool. Oh, if I can quite contradictory yeah. to um, a lot of, us were raised kind of don't be angry don't be upset don't be sad you know um you got it you got it so uh, what we realize after becoming more mindful more aware you know and we do that without because we're not judging what's happening to us so we get more information about it we get more awareness right Mm -hmm. we realize that you know, the ways we're responding to this really intense situation, I want to have a baby and it's not happening, really scary situation, you know, big charge, big overwhelm, yes. right? The way we're responding to that is is how we've really kind of been taught from a young age to respond to overwhelm, vulnerability, mm. intensity. How did mom and dad, you know, teach us around these things or what, what are mom and dad's own way of dealing with their own vulnerability, their own fear, their own overwhelm. Right. In my family, right. It was like, you don't acknowledge those things, Mm -hmm. right. You get busy producing, right. Uh, To make sure that those things don't happen. That's what I was taught. Overachiever, extraordinaire. Right. 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 You you get busy. You get smart. Yeah, a lot of families, it's it's kind of a weakness, right? Oh, you're, you know, you don't dwell in your feelings, you know, buck up and yeah. So you get on. so you get to know a lot of this programming, right? A lot yeah. of this comes comes up in this process. Oh, yeah. you know, I do that too with, you know, um, deep grief or intense feelings of loss or you know, uh, when I say uh, you know an attempt has failed, right? It's just yes. like where do I? How do I manage? Again, I want to say generally, parents generally, that was it. Wasn't it, that, there's no malintent. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, meant to be, you know, harmful or harmful to our physiology, those ways that we manage those feelings, right? Yeah, so we're going to take the judgment off that too, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we do have to, so we can start to take responsibility for sort of that's how I've been taught to deal, you know? Yeah. And ultimately, ultimately, if I dare take a look, you know, and I don't judge myself for this, right? I realize that that's keeping the fear deeply embodied, you know, that's keeping the, you know, um, anger deeply embodied, you know, that's keeping my physiology kind of like locked down. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do with fertility, right. And anytime we're trying to change symptoms, uh, you know, autoimmune symptoms, we're, we're looking for receptivity in the body. We're looking for natural rhythms, right. Of like, um, you know, intensity and release or like the breathing rhythms of in, out, right? We want the body to be flowing, right? Ovulation mm-hmm. works that way. Everything works in this sort of, you know, so the intensity, the feeling, we acknowledge it, we caretake it, you know, when it comes and goes, right? We don't want to be in this lockdown. This is bad and wrong, right? Uh-huh. The nervous system, right? 
will stay in sympathetic arousal if we do that, you know, and that has a whole bunch of effects as we know on all of these symptoms, right? So how about we go into a story to just kind of Absolutely. talk about, does that sound good? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I love Michelle's story. Um, she was my first referral from Dr. Smichael. And like I said, I was really steeped in mindfulness myself, but I hadn't worked at this time in 2006, I hadn't worked with the fertility community specifically. Um, so I was new, which also brings beginner's mind, you know, I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't know what to expect really, right? But I knew the power of releasing these emotional responses um, uh, and the clarity and the relaxation and the physiology that comes along with them. So Michelle came into my office, she'd been trying to conceive for two years. She was in her 30s, sort of mid to late 30s, 36, 37, I believe. Uh, unexplained infertility, tried everything did a first round of IVF with Dr. Michael and it failed. And so, you know, she was sort of like, she got the signals that she's the poster child for IVF. This should be absolutely mm. fine. <coughs> Excuse me. And was, of course, devastated. So he, Dr. Michael had her in my office. This was just a one-on-one -on -one session. She and her husband, <clears throat> a couple days after the failed IVF attempt. And I just thought in my mind, you know, because I know these principles and I know the gift of <clears throat> letting emotion be expressed and the relaxation response that comes along with that. So she came into my office and looked at me and was just, you know, devastated, despondent, you know, and I just looked at her and said, you know, after we said hello, I was like, Michelle, you know, this is what it feels like to lose. And she wasn't expecting that from me. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the surprise of it, and also because it was, right on and how she was feeling right <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. it just she just erupted into you know uh, just grief and tears and like uncontrollable sobs right in my office right and I didn't go into fixing that grief I just hung on with her there right it was like oh the body needed to release that and I knew it because that's how she was feeling right I was like yeah this is what grief feels like right you know? some people hit this early in their life some people hit it midlife you know, some people don't come to it till later in life, but this is what trying and losing feels like in the body and the mind, you know, and we don't have to resist against it. We don't have to get rid of it. We don't have to be afraid of it. It doesn't mean we don't project into the future that this is going to be a reality forever, right? Mm -hmm. But right now, let's just feel it, you know? And so it was an, such an incredible release for her. You know, we just stayed in the grief that session, right? And she came out the other side. Sure enough, it was that wave, like she'd been holding off to feel it. She'd been trying to, you know, manage it, if you will, or mm -hmm. stay positive or, right? And I just kind of gave her permission to like, this is happening right now, right? So let's feel it. So what came out in subsequent sessions, of course, I think we saw each other four times after that, four or five times after that was that, you know, the history, I taught her mindfulness, she went home with the mindfulness um, uh, audio CDs, right, to become more aware of what was happening inside her and the thinking patterns, you know, that were governing this intense grief, right. Mm -hmm. And so what happened, what came out was she's like, Oh, my gosh, you know, like, I have been managing not just this grief, but a deep grief, you know, for my entire childhood. You know, she described herself as always depressed, you know, the, the black sheep of the family, you know. So one of the ways I managed my feelings as a child was to just depress them, 
you know, mm-hmm. avoid them, not feel them. And what happened in that session was I just gave her full permission to be like, let's feel this together. And because it was a first meeting and because she was surprised by it, you know, she kind of couldn't hold back, right? It was just like, yeah. and that's how she was feeling. So anyway, what's interesting really about the story is that six weeks later, she was pregnant naturally. Wow. Yeah. She yeah. let go of all of that holding on right? Uh, and from years past, and I gave her permission. And then we, we sorted that out, you know, in a relatively short period of time that like, you know, the effects of depressing or repressing or avoiding or holding on to feelings of sadness, right? Mm-hmm. Feelings of loss that she'd had from a very young age, yeah? and the consequence on the physiology on ovulation, right? On inflammation. Yeah. So she was pregnant six weeks later, the doctor was blown away, I was blown away. But what it did was it reaffirmed to me these principles that I know to be true, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And how powerful the body can respond in a relatively short period of time. Wow. When, when you say um, that you've had um, astonishing results, I mean, it's really people being able to tap into kind of deep emotional pain or, um, I mean, through the mindfulness and, and, and I guess getting pregnant when they've had, you know, issues for possibly years otherwise. Yeah. Um, right. When I say astonishing results, you know, couple, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, you know, I think when we focus on releasing deep emotional pain, that can feel overwhelming. Okay. <laughs> right? To right. Say, you know what I mean? It's Yikes. like, oh God, yeah. I don't want to do that. I'm already in a lot yeah. of pain. But, that doesn't so sound one, fun. So one of the, it doesn't sound fun. You know, I don't get the call. <laughs> but, you know, what I say is that not so much releasing deep emotional pain, although that can happen. I think what is understanding the mechanism, you know, the, the mind and the feeling sense, you know, mechanisms of how we've learned to avoid or or numb mm-hmm. to or project you know what is actually happening for us you know and the liberation we feel in you know understanding large intense experiences the nature of them is that they come and go if they're not you know managed in this way and that they're deeply relieving to you know to, to express, right? Mm-hmm. There's an immense liberation. There's immense insight. There's a lot of energy on the other side of them. There's, you know, um, and there's a deep sense of, you know, not being damaged, of being like, oh, wholeness, you know, it means I'm, you know, alive and I'm doing well if I experience all these things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's that it's that orientation. I think that's, Um, and the healing that goes along with that perspective, like it's like, oh, I don't have to defend against this pain anymore. It's not the pain that's overwhelming, actually. The pain comes, it's intense, but it goes relatively quickly, right? It's the defending against it that's life-sucking. That's, you know, quote-unquote infertile, if you will, you know, and I only use that term to just mean that it takes our vitality away, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when you were talking in the beginning, it's like you were giving an instruction manual of the mind, right? Right? Yeah. Mindfulness does that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just, you know, we grow up, we don't know how this thing, I mean, even though we live with, we we really don't know how it functions where we weren't given instructions on it and it's extremely confusing. And so it's like, yeah. 
if we're all to, to learn that at a much earlier age, but most of us go through adult life and we go through some very painful periods in our life. Mm -hmm. And that's when we become, you got it. we start searching out, right? That's got um, it. I, I really don't find many people in my office that are just curious about their deep <laughs> yeah. inner world. You know, yeah. they usually are coming to me because they're yeah. struggling with something, you know, mm. and that's why I think this moment in life is a massive opportunity, you know, yeah. because I know the body mind is really responsible right yeah that's been my experience over years and years right um, and I know that usually it's loss or struggle that gets us curious about how we've been taught to you know relate to these things yeah, yeah. and day-to-day -day life becomes a little too uncomfortable yeah, right. And right. you start going, yeah. maybe I need to yeah. understand more. Well, that kind of leads yeah. to my next question. Yeah. You know, why is mindfulness so important to health and fertility? I mean, you've touched mm -hmm. upon it, but um, just kind of clarify again. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think reducing stress, that's one of the ways it's talked about, right? Um I also talked about activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So we've got this two branches of the nervous system, right? The sympathetic, which is this arousal system. There's danger. What are we going to do? We've got to mobilize to fight it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the parasympathetic was, is just like this receptive kind of digestion happens, right? All of, These are all automatic systems, but the two of them don't compare heat necessarily you know but you go back and forth between i've got an interview today with charlene you know the, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in right yeah mm -hmm. it's like i need to be alert and aware because she's going to ask me some complex questions right yeah my digestion shuts down a little bit right yeah i go up into the head notice these things right yeah but we want to cultivate along with you know um managing symptoms which mm -hmm. is really like a thought thoughtful process is this parasympathetic response, right? Especially when there's intense fear. So we want the down regulation of the nervous system to happen. Every physician, everyone knows that that down regulation is just going to be essential, you know, for if you're changing behavior patterns, like you're learning to eat really differently, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if you're managing toxins in your environment, it involves a lot of behavioral change, right? Yes. Yeah. So all of this will be easier if we're in parasympathetic arousal a lot of the time. Never mind, you know, when we get these bouts of real intense anxiety or fear or rage, right, or hopelessness, right? Mm -hmm. Parasympathetic arousal and understanding when you're in it, it's, you can, you can um, detect it. It's really objective, right? Yeah. Uh, when you're in it and when you're not in it and how to get into it right, is just an essential skill for every single symptom that you're going to come across in uh, while trying to conceive. Like we've said, you know, like, um, what are common ones? Autoimmune conditions, polycystic met metabolic uh, symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, what else are we dealing with? You know, dealing with toxins and behavior patterns, you know, with infertility, right? Endometriosis, right? right? down regulating the nervous system is just uh, an essential part of all of those interventions. Another reason it's really important, right? And I love this one is that the stats and all the research, right? If you manage and learn to manage well, that parasympathetic response, right? Conception rates go up across the board by over 50%. 
Mm, wow. no, no assisted reproductive technology has those type of statistics, right? Yeah. That's how crucial it is. That's why Dr. Smeichel had me in his office, right? That's why we're having this conversation. I think practitioners across the board, whether they're uh, medical professionals, right? Or they're dealing with more natural uh, fertility, understand that regulating the nervous system um, is going to help you significantly in this process. What a great motivator. Right? What a great motivator, right? Yeah. yeah. I think also if we frame it like you, there'll be intense liberation, whatever happens on the journey, instead of like, oh my gosh, I've got to process this deep emotional pain. It's more like, you know, uh, there's just a whole bunch of tools that will help you actually in life and parenting is what I also say, because, mm. you know, the intensity, there's the intensity of trying to have a babe, and then there's the intensity of parenting a babe, right? And um, some of the same overwhelm happens at that time, right? And some of the same things kick in when we start parenting, right? Overwhelm, stress response, sympathetic reactions, right? And if we know how to manage that already, that next phase is going to get easier as well. Absolutely. So I want to just say, you know, along with this question, here's why mindfulness is really, um, I think, uh, not only a, an effective intervention, right? But we understand the science of mindfulness now, and this is why it really works. Um, I read, I just was listening to a talk by um, Dan Goldman. He's the New York Times bestseller of Emotional Intelligence from a while ago, Destructive Emotions. He got together with Richie Davidson and they co-published Altered Traits, Science Reveals How Meditation Changes Your Mind, Brain, and Body. Basically what they did was they looked at the 6,000 clinical studies on mindfulness that have happened over the last 20 years. There's been a lot of research on mindfulness. I know you hear it everywhere. It's not a panacea intervention for everything, right? But they pulled out six, only 60 papers out of 6,000 mm -hmm. that actually reveal empirical research in mindfulness meditation. And I want to, I'm going to talk about like four of those things they found out that really relate to why it's relevant for fertility. Okay, so this is for research for new meditators. And most of the people that sign up for my program, you know, they're not uh, lifelong meditators. They're new to meditation. They're looking for stress reduction techniques that are really effective, right? So what meditation does out of this research, you know, that we know for certain is that it lessens amygdala reactivity to stress. So the amygdala is the trigger point for the fight, fight, flight, freeze response, right? So what it does empirically in the body is that it lessens the amygdala's reactivity to stress, right? It's so uh, we know it does that for sure if you practice it. And in the research, it's 20 minutes a day. My meditations are um, 20 minutes, you know, for three weeks. If you do that daily for three weeks and you use your mind in that way, that's a relatively short period of time to mm -hmm. shift the physiology into the relaxation response. So that's one of the, re why, one of the reasons why it's so effective. You know, it also, mindfulness also in the research is known to reduce proven to reduce stress and depression or anxiety and depression, right? So the research states that mindfulness meditation does this as well as medication. And that's, mm -hmm. revo that's revolutionary yes. right? for a couple of reasons. But what's crucial for fertility is that, you know, antidepressant use, the use of SSRIs, which is the most prescribed antidepressant, it's also prescribed for anxiety issues, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we understand now that antidepressant, and this is from Alice Domar of the Mind Body um, 
you know, her mind-body program at Boston IVF, right? Um, I've studied with Alice, but this is from her research, right? So antidepressant use during pregnancy is associated with increased risks of miscarriages, birth defects, preterm birth, newborn behavioral syndrome, persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn, and possible longer-term neurobehavioral effects. This is pretty mm. new. This is pretty new research, right? So, yes. you know, we want to get off if we can. And this isn't something you do on your own. You would really discuss this with your absolutely psychiatrist right. or mental health professional. But right. in the research, it's it's known now that trying to come off of SSRIs while we're trying to conceive, right, can have really beneficial effects. And one of the interventions that we use to do that is the are these mindfulness-based interventions, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which my program encompasses, right? Yeah. So really using the mind to manage the symptoms of stress and depression, right? So this is for new meditators. So amygdala reduce it reduces the reactivity to stress and it reduces anxiety and depression as well as medication. The third one is that mindfulness increases compassion and generosity towards other, but especially the self. So one of the things that's really hard when we're feeling hopeless and we're feeling angry and we're feeling stressed, right, is to have a relationship with ourselves that's loving, right? That tape, like in Diane's case, is really harsh. This is terrible if you're doing something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mindfulness increases that compassionate response with which can increases relaxation, right? Yeah. The fourth one I'm going to mention here, there are more, but these ones are really relevant. You know, it's why this intervention works so well in such a short period of time, right? So just six hours of meditation, never mind three weeks, right? Okay. Changes the mammalian caretaking circuits in the brain, right? It stimulates the part of the brain active when a parent is loving and caretaking a child. And this is so essential, right? Because most of the time when we're trying to see we're in this really deprived, I'm deprived of that, right? And the brain shuts down in those places, right? It's, it's the old adage, like, if you adopt a baby, you'll get pregnant, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some African traditions, they have this tradition of hold lots of babies if you're having trouble right. conceiving because yeah. that part of the brain, you know, gets stimulated. So meditation does that. Um, mindfulness meditation just does that on its own and I've seen it have incredible effects of course so those are the kind of some empirical data for you about why mindfulness if you will um, specifically to treat fertility challenges I mean those are incredible benefits Um, and 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 I just want to point out the six hours of meditation that does not mean in one sitting it means in in total and um, you know I I thought of this before. A lot of us want to have meditation practices and um, sometimes right. it, they can be quite challenging, but right. you're guiding a person through the meditation. I mean, that it makes a huge difference because I, I think it does. Tried, yeah. Have you tried? I have tried to have my own meditation practice where, you know, yeah. I'm clearing my mind and, you know, mm-hmm. it can be a quite busy, yes. <laughs> a busy few minutes sitting there, but um, <laughs> I prefer the guided meditations. I feel like, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're so beneficial. Now, can yeah. you tell us some other stories to help us understand the healing benefits yeah. of mindfulness for women struggling to conceive? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about two stories. Michelle's story is interesting. I think it helps us understand how this all works, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Lola's story, I love 
and I don't think you and I have talked about this story so much, um, Charlene, in our, in our chats about this interview, but so I moved from San Francisco and I move out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming area uh, mm. with my husband and we do a little bit of um, uh, some skiing out there. We're big skiers. Mm-hmm. And what I find, because I've just finished all this graduate work in the program at Collins office and um, and I start to introduce myself to that very small rural community. There are no reproductive endocrinologists in that area. You have to drive to Salt Lake City four to six hours away to, mm-hmm. to see a specialist, right? And there are a whole bunch of women in that small community that are struggling to conceive. And so oh. um, I work with a local uh, doctor who is seeing a lot of these women, and she's so excited I'm in the area, and she refers uh, Lola to me, right? This is not her real name, but I, I, I shift the names just to, you know, um, keep confidentiality. So Lola comes in, guns blazing. She is mad, you know. First of all, she's mad that the doctor would refer her to a psychotherapist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what does this have to do with getting pregnant, right? And she's also mad because a lot of her history and uh, she, she, this particular woman had done a lot of psychotherapy because she had a really abusive childhood, right? But she'd, you know, she'd done a lot of work. She was in a beautiful marriage. They had a child. This was secondary infertility. They tried mm-hmm. for two years and they couldn't conceive again right? There was no metabolic, again, it was somewhat unexplained, right? As she conceived naturally. So what she was mad about, she was like, I don't want to rehash, kind of like I've said to you, this old pain, because that's what a psychotherapist represented to her to get pregnant. This is, you know, this is, you know, fill in the blank. I'm not doing it. The doctor said she really wouldn't see me again until until I spoke with you. And this was partly because she was so angry, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, really mad. And so, uh, but this was all on the phone. She laid this out to me. Like, I don't want to be there, but the doctor won't see me again until I come in and see you, you know, like ex exemplative, you know, like just like swear words coming out of her mouth all mm-hmm. the time. Right. Just like, no, no, no. And so I was, so we arranged the appointment. She came in, uh, nothing had changed. Right. And so I just really said to her, and again, this is honoring the, the feeling, right? Supporting the defense in some way. The anger is really like a way of not feeling the pain, right? It's another thing mm-hmm. the mind does. It just projects, mm-hmm. you know? So we don't feel the pain and I knew that, right? And so I said to her, I just supported that defense because I was interested in what was below it. That's where the liberation is, right? And so I said to her, she came in, you know, like, I don't want anything to do with you or this and did it. I'm just fulfilling this requirement. And, you know, the, I can't, I'm going to change doctors because this is ridiculous, you know? And I said to her, you know what? You're right. Right. And again, she wasn't expecting that response. Right. She was expecting me to explain to her, you know, why anger was bad or, you know, these same things that the mind does. This is bad. This shouldn't be happening. Let me tell you how you can change this, right? Fix it and use the, the, that emotional. Instead, I just contacted it. I was like, you know what? You are so right. You know, this is unfair what the doctor has asked of you. It's certainly, you know, uh, none of us want to rehash old pain, right? I mean, yeah, I get it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you're mad. And uh, that makes a whole bunch of sense to me, right? Why don't you go ahead and check out with the receptionist? I'm not going to charge you for the session, right? Okay. Um, and I'll tell the doctor you've refilled your requirement. You just go and, you know, be mad, 
right? And she just looked at me like, what are you talking yeah. about, right? Like, uh, you know, she didn't quite know what to do next because she was so identified with that stance, right? Yes. Yeah. And so we talked about it, you know, so she was just like, well, aren't you going to convince me to stay? I think she said something like that, you know, and I was like, why convince you to stay? You know, that I don't think that's going to work, right? <laughs> like, if you're mad, you need to be mad, you know, and if you don't want to be here, nothing I'm going to say is going to be helpful, right? Zero, right? Yeah. And all you're going to do is get more mad, you know, about what I say. Oh, yeah, whatever, you know. I've done that and I know that and just like this, right? And I just nailed it, you know, I just kind of nailed her. She was just like, and she just started to laugh, right? Like, gotcha, you know. It wasn't yes. my intention to mock her in any way. I just understood where she was coming from, right? And it was just, and so she was, so she just started to laugh and she was like, you know, and then she broke down to tears. She's like, I don't want this. My whole life has been painful. You know, my entire life has been a struggle and I cannot believe this is going to happen. Like this is a struggle too. And I was like, I totally get it. Right. Yeah. Yes. That was the softening underneath the anger. Right. My whole life has been sad and tragic, you know, and I'm going to, I would rather be angry than I would to feel any sort of sadness again. Mm. Right. Mm. And then she, she could just say it. She'd done a lot of work. Right. So once I just kind of supported the defense of the anger and said, you're right. You know, she was like, just like, Oh man, you know, then she could let the sadness out if you will. So again, kind of a similar story is I, I gave her some mindfulness meditations to take home with her to just kind of, you know, reinforce that receptivity to the sadness instead of the anger to the sadness of trying to manage the sadness by getting pissed at everything and everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just some receptivity, which wasn't far behind because she'd had those tools from her healing anyway. Right. And again, just a reminder, I said to her, you know, the reminder of like, the sadness isn't so persistent, is it? You know, when we acknowledge it, right. The sadness is more persistent when we defend against it. Right. Yes. When we acknowledge it, it just it comes and it goes. And she had actually a beautiful life and a beautiful child that she could, you know, focus her attention on. Right. And as long as she could just, um, you know, uh, acknowledge the sadness, which I helped her do that day, you know, it actually wasn't such a bad deal that she had. And she got that a loving relationship. She'd done the hard work, you know, in her life to have a loving relationship with her partner. She had a beautiful child. Right. She needed to acknowledge the set, a wave of sadness that was reminding her of the past pain, right? Mm -hmm. And the anger was preventing that, right? right? I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to acknowledge it. I've acknowledged it so much. I don't want to fuck you. You know, yeah. excuse me, right? Yeah. So we did it, you know, sure enough, she went on a vacation with her friend. She'd been doing everything right. Again, you know, changed her whole diet. She'd been working for a couple of years with this doc, right? Changed her whole diet, wasn't drinking alcohol, no caffeine, you know, the deal, keeping a real strict... So she said to me a couple, we had a couple sessions. She's like, I'm going to Mexico. I just booked a trip to Mexico with my girlfriends. I'm going to drink. I'm going to like, I'm going to just let loose, right? Mm -hmm. We'd acknowledge the sadness. She had the, she had the mindfulness meditations. And on that trip, she took a pregnancy test and she was pregnant. Yeah. Wow. So that's another story yeah. of, you know, like um, really, using the mind she had a lot of the tools it didn't take her a lot of time right but to let go of this resistance to what for her was just a deep sadness right 
Yeah. Mm. And then the body can just starts to relax. It starts to see the beauty that it has, right? That's the clarity on the other side of the fully expressed emotion, right? That we're trying to avoid. Yeah. Then it can see clearly all of the abundance that it has. The parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, right? Yeah. And there's relatively quick results. Yeah. Wow. Uh, a great story. And I mean, it seems like a lot of times uh, when there's anger underneath, that is the sadness, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what hurt, kind of hurt. Yeah. yeah. Or fear, usually mm-hmm. hurt or fear, we say it's the secondary emotion. Yeah. yeah. And I can see where people want to kind of stay with the anger because anger feels a lot more. I don't know if the word empowering, but you, you feel it. a lot stronger and gutsy yeah. when you're angry. You don't mess it. with me. Then like, yeah. Be, yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah. one thing, if we look at anger, which is interesting, if we look at the, you know, like, cause she'd had a lot of, usually that's reinforced at a young age in the family, you know, anger was a great way to feel more in control Mm. right Mm -hmm. yeah so but we can justify it like you know how dare the doctor refer me say they wouldn't see me again until i saw a you know a therapist right yeah we can easily justify the anger right which keeps it embedded and so for her it was just like understanding the thought processes right that Mm. kept it that kept it um that kept it alive and kicking Right. Yes. Yeah. So that was really important for her to see that she was justifying the anger. Right. Because it was easier to do that than feel the sadness. And the doctor wasn't the bad guy. Infertility wasn't the bad guy. You know, in fact, mm. there was no bad guy. Right. Right. Uh, there was a, a, a very persistent feeling of sadness, you know, um, that she'd done a whole bunch of work trying to overcome, if you will. Yeah. You know, um, we, we've covered so much and we're kind of getting towards the end of yeah. our conversation, but, yeah. you know, I want to, uh, you know, anything that you want to leave us with. Um, and then yeah. also I want to ask you, can we continue the conversation, a, a part two, if you will, because yeah, there's a lot to kind of cover here. And, right. um, yeah. Yeah. and you know, maybe next time we do a mindfulness exercise or, or whatever right. you feel, right. you know, yeah. would be helpful, but um I would love that. Yeah, I would love that. So what to leave you with, you know, stories of hope, if you will. Um, You know, I think you've asked what, you know, this question of like, what if people have come in, you know, and they've done all the great work and nothing's working, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of place. I think the biggest takeaway from my work, you know, is that, you know, if we've done everything in this outer world, right, of like, and we have all those bases covered, it's really important to use the mind in that way, you know, like, what are my symptoms? What does the research say and how to manage them? Who's on my team, right? Mm-hmm. What specialists if I speaking? This is all ways to use the mind to really help us, right? So if all of that's happening and it's not working, right? Yeah. Then, you know, my work in some way is to also go inward, right? And mm-hmm. it's like that there's a very empowered embodied relationship we can have to whatever is happening in the present moment, even if that's the reality in this moment, you know, that I want to be pregnant, I've tried a lot of things that I'm not pregnant, right? My work is really about learning to, um, you know, uh, experience the fear that that brings up, the intense grief that that brings up, and also the experience, the clarity that's on the other side of it and the freedom right? And that doesn't mean it comes and goes, right? Yeah. But there is a way that we can um, 
awaken to our greatest fear, right? Awaken to our deepest pain that doesn't leave us more depleted, that leaves us more vital. Okay. Right? And it's that vitality, right? So we don't need to necessarily uh, be pregnant to have the vitality, right? It's a little bit of a paradox. It's like if we're not afraid of our greatest fear, right? Mm -hmm. What happens with the fear, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You know, what happens with the fear, that reality that we can't face, that we don't want to face if it's no longer so scary to us? we're actually getting a more fertile state, which is, that's the paradox of it, right? Okay. And so what I would say, if nothing's working, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing seems to be working, you know, tools, you know, the, the vitality that you're interested in, right, is within the inner world of this complex association between feeling states and thinking states, right? How we make meaning and how we feel about that reality doesn't make it a permanent reality, right? It liberates that reality, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So, right. So what I would say, you know, um, becoming more mindful, doing the inner work, creating the awareness, understanding the patterns of thought feeling, right? Yeah. Um, You know, really is the, is the, the state that we're looking for you know that state doesn't depend on any reality having happened it feels like that now you know i have to have this reality i have to mm-hmm. have the baby you mm-hmm. know to have the freedom and the liberation and the purpose and the love right yeah but what we know is that from hundreds of hundreds of women that i've worked with some of them have, have the baby right mm-hmm. and some of them don't or find alternative ways to have baby right, right? yeah but the liberation they're looking for isn't, they realize, isn't dependent on that child, right? right? The liberation, the fertility, the vitality, all of the ways we feel incredible in both body and mind mm. is a function of the way we're making meaning and how we feel about any particular thing that's happening. It's yeah. not circumstantial. It's, it's not circumstantial. Lib- liber- true liberation, and all wise people say this, true liberation is not circumstantial right Mm -hmm. and if you add that to your fertility journal journey right that inner liberation right incredible things start to happen and whether that is you know conception after years of not trying or you know a doorway opens up into a new way you know of having a child that you couldn't see before right Mm -hmm. because because of the fear or just because of the mind was really wanting this right yeah um, lots of different things come out of that um, exploration and that inner freedom. Yeah. Mm. Wise words. Yeah. Thank you. So um, thank you so much. And uh, okay. So let's continue this yeah. conversation. I know you're let's going continue. on a great adventure with your family Yeah. to Brazil and uh, I want to hear about that. And thank you so much for being on and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Charlene, it's such a pleasure. Wonderful to speak with you. I want to just also say, you know, in the notes Mm -hmm. here, right, I'll put a link to, you'll put a link to um, some resources for um, people that might be interested in the mindfulness journey or the mindfulness work, right? So that's another way to um, get uh, more information and then we'll continue this conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. You'll, we'll put all the information in, in the notes so that, because um, if someone wants to check out the, um, the journal, right. You were talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. The journal, the meditations. Yeah. 
and finding out more about consulting with you and yeah. your work. And absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Have a Such wonderful a pleasure. day. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step, all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Fertility Hour.